Welcome to Nice Ashes. I'm Nate. And I'm Mike. Did you know, Mike, that our the last episode we did was our 30th episode? Dirty 30? Yep. I did not know that, Nate. It's incredible that we have, uh, you know, officially crossed that threshold. It's pretty impressive. Yes. <laughs> and our fans... We've done a lot of editing for no reason. Our fans adore us. <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but I get a crazy amount of fan mail. Oh, okay. Well, I am not uh, on the fan mail account, so... <laughs> well, you said not to put your address down, so... No, I don't want anybody to know who I am. You know, uh, you can... Uh, uh, but you know what? already know me, which is all of them. <laughs> uh, I've got so many pairs of panties that all these women have just been mailing in, so... Uh, next time I see you, I'll, I'll I'll split them in half with you. Okay. Uh, well, you can you can take some of these. I don't want any of those because I don't want any uh, trouble at home. So. Oh, I thought you just <laughs> didn't want the uh, the used ones. You know that smell like urine. Mmm. That sounds so appealing. Yes, appealing. Uh, what are we? Mm. What are we? What do we got going on uh, this episode? This, this one. one is... This one. The label looks a lot different. Yes, yes it does. The label was on the end, so we had to take it off. And it is the Nub Kane F, which is also a Habano wrapper, I guess. I did not know that until Nate told me. <laughs> yeah, it was but it's just, supposed uh, to be much darker than the uh, regular Habano. So potentially it will be uh, better. Well, I don't know about better. Uh, potentially, it will be more in our preferred flavor wheelhouse. Sure. Sure. I'm, I'm starting to think, now that we're doing analysis on cigars instead of me just smoking random cigars at random cigar shops, that I like a lot of different cigars, and I don't really have a preferred profile like I thought I did. Uh, because I've found a lot of these lighter cigars to be very, very good. And a lot of the darker cigars, too. Uh, yes. So maybe my 16 years, going on 17 years of cigar smoking uh, has paid off. Well, and I think uh, that it's a lot different when you start to track things. Not that we're necessarily tracking things on this podcast, but, you know, we're, we're trying to be more conscious of what we're smoking and whether we like it or don't like it. And there is a record through the episodes of uh, our thoughts on these cigars. So once you start tracking things, sometimes you realize that you like things you wouldn't have picked out on your own. Right. You know, like if and you I've start... noticed that I've been thinking about it as I smoke uh, outside of the show as well. Yes. And it's the same with, uh, you know, beer. If you start, uh, you know, kind of rating your beer, you'll maybe eventually, if you go back and look at the data, you'll say, wow, I really rated all this style of beer really high. And I never thought about that before. Um, you know, and the same as you, like I rate every movie I watch, I rate online so I can go back and, and see if I've watched it for one and, and two, what I thought of it. So. Sure. Uh, strong start to the cigar, by the way. Very strong start. Yes. Yes. I like it. Uh, also, it's very firm. Easy draw, but firm. Very easy draw, and, and you know, I'm trying to squeeze it in my fingers. 
uh, don't indent it. I mean, I could if I wanted because I'm, you know, just I'm ripped uh, and I work out all the time uh, and I've got a very fragile masculine ego. Um, but, you know, just giving it the old little like uh, the old like nip pinch, you know, like it's not uh, not making a dent on it. So, yeah. Oh, that's very uh, satisfying feeling. Not that that means a whole lot, but it does to me. Well, go to today. your local cigar shop, find one on the shelves and just give it a good squeeze. So we've decided to vamp. Yes. Banter. Yammer. Usually we do this with a tequila cigar, but we're doing this with the uh, the KNF tonight. So. Yes. Well, I had uh, some white Russians before. So and I'm you didn't okay. tell me. I did not tell you. I did not. I had I had two white Russians. I suppose we've kind of learned that uh, both of us don't need to be on the same level of inebriation. And yes. it usually goes a little bit better for us, or at least for me, in the editing room, <laughs> if one of us is mostly sober. <laughs> yes. Uh, typically, at least one of us can talk straight. Yes. Uh, and we don't get too distracted because... Uh, I do tend to cut out some subplots every once in a while. Oh, do you? Well, especially towards the end. Well, like, so this last, uh, the episode that's going live uh, this week, or, you know, this will be multiple weeks ago now. Um, I can't even remember which one it is, and I just edited it today. Um, Whatever, at the end, the very end, like, I brought up this whole other, like, completely other subtopic. And uh, it was just boring, and you weren't having any of it. And uh, and I thought, well, if Mike's not vibing on it, he's my my audience member. Uh, we'll just cut that, and uh, you know, shave five minutes off the runtime, and we just wrapped it up. And because we, oh, we were talking about Animal Farm. That's what. It oh, was. okay. It was our Animal Farm episode, and uh, there's just you know one of those random topics at the end. But it was just drawing it out. So then we just repeated what we'd been saying kind of the whole episode, uh, which we didn't really need. So uh, we do sometimes occasionally edit things out. I don't know if it was for runtime or just to not make us sound like we were doing the Minnesota goodbye where it's like, okay, uh, see you. And then two hours later, we're still there seeing each other when neither one of us has left yet. The nice part about this is that it's never a Minnesota goodbye on air. Yes. Because we're, uh, we are honor bound by when we're done. The first one who was actually done. So. Although on the Animal Farm episode, you smoked and grabbed a second cigar on that episode. You did. Oh, geez. Uh, so. Must have grabbed a cigarillo. I don't know what you grabbed. You grabbed Mm. something that you had in that room there. So. Oh, I have a few of them in there. I keep a little in the door. You've you've been in here. So. Oh yes, yep. I have seen that, um, but I did. Uh, and, you know, uh, we can talk about this now because they're not going to be ready to smoke until October seventh. But I got my order of uh, dark sharks, and I got nice. a uh, five pack of shrews that are supposedly a little darker and earthier than the uh, the Kentuckys. Darker and earthier. Oh my! So yeah, I would like to try some Italian shrews. Yeah, these some ones real might, deals. Oh, I don't know if they're Italian or not. They, they come in a box and it's uh, green, white, and red. So I just kind of oh, felt okay. like they were Italian, maybe. But 
Maybe not. I don't remember what they're called say. even. Um, I think, keep, I think uh, I'm going to try to find some Cerus at a cigar lounge in yeah. the metro. Yes. Uh, when you're there, uh, bring me, or I'll bring you. We'll both go. Sounds like a plan to me. Um, do you, uh, for your Cerus, they always say uh, that they do not require to be in a humidor. Yes. Yes, they do. But you put I them humidify in. my Cerus. Okay, I put mine in my humidor too because I just didn't believe them when they wrote that. Now we're we're keeping them for a very long time, so yeah, it does take time for them to level off, though. A little okay. longer than normal, so I'd give them a month. Okay, uh, to level off because they're not kept humidified necessarily because yeah. they're not intended to be humidified. But once you have them humidified, they're wonderful. Okay, so my dark sharks will be ready one week before the shrews then. So I'm giving the dark sharks three weeks. Sure. After, I don't keep after freezing them. Yes. I don't keep track of how long I humidify them. I just but kind I, of stick them in there and yeah. forget about it until I remember. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I do now have sticks in all three of my humidors. Oh, okay. Uh, and this is a first time for me. So that's pretty exciting. It is. That is exciting. I have uh, sticks in my humidors as well, all three of mine. And then I have a couple extras beyond that that I need to take care of at some point. But, well, it'll all even out, I suppose. I need to get rid of those Gurkhas. Remember when we got those Gurkhas? Yeah. I still have Gurkhas left from that. Uh because I didn't like them. <laughs> you know what we need to do with those? <laughs> do you still have Gurkhas as well, or did you smoke all of them? Uh, I think they've all been smoked. Okay. I was, uh, so uh, my buddy Dave, who was on the podcast, invited me over to smoke a cigar the other night, um, but I was pretty wiped, and I didn't. But I told him, I'm like, look, man, I don't have any cigars ready to smoke that aren't earmarked for the show right now <laughs> so um sure all of all of outside of the the because uh, i got 20 dark sharks in the pack so uh i'll be giving you some of course so that we can try it on the show but uh outside of those there's nothing that's ready and those aren't ready to smoke yet because they were still in the freezer at the time uh that he was talking to me about that so i definitely have to Grab some just for my own personal consumption too, but uh, right. Well, I mean, if you ever need any when you're here, let me know. As yeah. I have uh, a shit ton of nubs now, obviously. Yes. And you've seen my humidors, and I have yes. tons. Um, so we need to do a Gurkha tequila cigar because I would love to do a tequila cigar on something that's not a bin cigar. Yeah, but they're still trash. I mean. Yeah, but so are the bin cigars, kind of. Tried. That I tried the first half of this Toro cigar was shit. And the second half was really good. Well, what better test then for a tequila cigar, I think? Sure. Yeah, because the second half was already good. Yeah. And then um, if we can if the first half is good with tequila, then we know that it's it's tried and true. Uh right. and one of my uh one of my other buddies was saying he did uh I think it was a I think it was a brandy cigar. He's, he hasn't done the tequila cigar, but he's done, like, I think, brandy. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we talked about that. I'm not we talked sure about trying some other liquors for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I remember we talked about it because I was like, "Oh, let's use some Osbach because I love Osbach." Yeah, yeah. Uh, so maybe we'll have to get uh, get really uh, turned up one night and just try a bunch of different liquors on those Gurkhas. I agree. Yeah, get rid of them. Shouldn't say get rid of them in a bad way. They were fine. They're fine. Um, but those are ones where it's the first half is definitely a struggle, and then you get the good stuff. And we were talking in between episodes. Uh, you know, these nubs seem to be you know good throughout until the last couple inches. You know, right. And this KNF is no ex- exception. This has been oh, this has been great really good so far. I'm not yes. halfway done. Not even close to halfway done. Oh no, done. no, no, me either. I'm. Uh, I think I'm about an inch in. I haven't even uh, tapped the ash off yet. Oh, see, I. I've been a lot more ash conscious because of uh, my Sarah. <laughs> okay. Uh, did she just sweep the floor again? I remember uh, she just swept the floor that one time, and then you dropped your entire ash on the floor. I know. <laughs> That's why it's not. It's not. Uh, yeah. Anything after that, I was like, I yep. felt bad. So. <laughs> well, I'm. Uh, I'm outside as I always am, but uh, two weekends ago. My buddy came over and we built a really nice workbench for me. Uh, and it's in the garage. And I went and did some massive reorganization in the garage. And uh, I just need to put the uh, put the light up there. I got to put the pegboard back there for the tools. And then I've been looking at some bathroom fans. Because uh, I want to put a bathroom fan above my workbench so I can sit out there and smoke cigars in the winter or the rain or the wind. And, uh, you know whether it be for the podcast or not, but, you know, just somewhere to smoke inside and have that ventilation to get that smoke out of there. Right. And I don't know if the bathroom fan's the right way to go, um, but they're relatively cheap and you can get really low noise ones, uh, which would be good for the podcast. There's air exchangers. I know you showed me one. Uh, if you're going to do painting out there, you might want to get something more industrial. Yeah. But... We can talk uh, about that off air, of course. Oh no, so I just thought it'd be kind of you know a little fun to <laughs> talk about because I was I was mentioning it to my uh, buddy out in New York. Uh, he lives upstate, um, and he was like, "Well, whatever you decide, let me know because I want to put something like that in my garage too." So I thought, you know, maybe it'd be worth just mentioning uh, for some of our listeners too. You know, if you've got an indoor space that you want to smoke. Um, you're going to need some sort of ventilation. And, and our garage has two little windows, uh, but they don't open. So, you know, and being in Minnesota, you can't just open that that up in the winter. I mean, you can because you do on your porch, but we don't have heat or insulation in our garage. So, Right. Yeah, in my, in my, uh, in my little porch here, I just open up two windows on opposite sides, and it naturally giraffes, and I get heat from the yeah. register and everything. So it's not too bad. That's actually not bad at all. Oh, yeah. No, I've smoked out there in the winter before, and it's been really good. Um, You know, just throw on a sweatshirt or something, because it does get a little cooler than, Yeah, sweatshirt and uh, some moccasins (laughs) for the floor. Yep. But, uh, yeah, I haven't found the uh, the right fan, although it was interesting. I was looking at uh, bathroom fans today, because they have some that just plug into a socket, so you don't actually have to wire them in. And then you just uh, connect them up to, you know, and in my garage would be maybe, I don't know, six feet of uh, 
HVAC tubing or whatever out the side of the wall. Sure. But uh, one of the reviews was, this fan is not good for cigar smoke in my office or whatever. So we, I don't know what size his office was. Our garage is, you know, relatively small as garages go. But uh, it was interesting that somebody else was looking at bathroom fans to get rid of cigar smoke in an indoor space. Sure. In your garage, it'll go up and accumulate up there. It's hard to say how you'd want to pipe it if you don't want it to accumulate up there. But yeah, I was thinking I'd just mount the mount the fan on one of the beams above, like directly mm-hmm. above my workbench, which is where the, the smoke would be going up from. Sure. Make a, a home kit welding uh, station or solder station, if you will. Yeah. Which would be doubly good because uh, my Sarah does stained glass and likes to do soldering, so... They have, you know, a, a solder fan. If you could rig something like that up, it'd be perfectly good, I think. Okay. Yeah, because it'll suck all that uh, lead fume and shit out, so it should suck your cigar smoke out too enough. Enough to make it decent, yeah. you would think. Well, it was interesting because I was reading some of the bathroom fan descriptions from these companies, and they were saying, yep, it'll take uh, moisture, humidity, and cigarette smoke out of your, out of your room. So... Mm-hmm. And, you know, and cigarette smoke is a lot more pungent and lingers a lot more than a cigar smoke does. It does. To the point where they ban them in casinos now. Yeah. Which is sad. Very sad. Why would I go to a casino if I can't smoke a cigar in there? Yeah. My attitude. Not one shared by all, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, I'm liking this one so far. Yeah, it's, it's uh, been really good. I think uh, it's, you know, it's a little darker, but it's not uh, not drastically so than the the other two Habanos. It's, I think it is drastically darker. It, drastic. Uh, it's noticeably darker. It's noticeably, but it's not, uh, I don't know, we've had some on the show where we're like, wow. Wow, 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 that's dark. Um, but yeah, this is this is darker. You could definitely tell it's darker than the other two, but not uh, not leaps. I wouldn't say leaps and bounds beyond, but... Uh, it's dark enough to where... Dark enough to notice it. I notice it. And it's got some bite, which is good. Mm-hmm. In a good way, not in a bad way. In a good way, yeah. The, uh, the little love nibble. That's the yes. uh, te- technical term uh, that cigar aficionados uh, use. I think so. It has to be. A one note, a one note, uh, again, this well, is really thus, not thus changing far. in flavor. Yeah. Thus I mean, far. we're not halfway through yet, but, uh, definitely, uh, consistent from the first puff to this puff now, 20 minutes in. So, right. And we're still not halfway through. So these are now that we're trying, I'm guessing we're trying to slow them down. I'm not yeah. trying to suck on it real hard, that's for sure. No, we're, we're doing a little more effort on um, giving it time to breathe, I suppose. Yes. Yes. I've been uh, doing a lot of research on uh, watches lately. 
Okay. And I'm kind of getting to the point in the watch game to where I, I want to downsize my collection and uh, just kind of offload. <laughs> okay. I, 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 only, I only really want to wear a couple watches and the rest of them are just kind of taking up space in my house. Yeah. <laughs> trying to offload that. I'm trying to offload a couple shotguns as well. Okay. It's, it's just taking up space in my cabinet. I have too much shit. Yep. And uh, I, I need to research on how to sell a watch and not have to pay income tax. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, like so some spendy, some spendier watches. Well, they're not super spendy, really. I'm I'm trying to offload like, a few citizens. Okay. Uh, which are all eco drives, so they're not very expensive. Mm-hmm. It's you know a hundred or two hundred dollars here and there, but I don't want to pay income tax on it. All the same, probably <laughs> probably not these... something to mention on a podcast. That gets well, I mean, <laughs> out there, I'm not uh, I'm not I'm not actively selling them at the moment. I'm trying to figure out the legal way to go about doing it. Yes, <laughs> I have not sold any watches yet. Yes, but we will see. We will see. That's probably something you're going to cut from the show. <laughs> I think we'll let this one stand. Okay, there we go. I thought about using uh, Sarah's dad's uh, eBay account because he's actively selling uh, glassware. He's oh, a big okay. collector of plate sets and stuff. Yeah. But he sells so much that I know I'm going to have to pay income tax if I have him sell it. It's more likely to sell for a higher price. Yeah. But then I also know I'm going to have to claim it on my taxes because he's selling a lot of stuff. Yeah. Do you you not have an eBay account or? I have an eBay account, but I've never sold anything on it. Oh, okay. I've I've sold uh, some stuff, so I think I've got some good ratings so we could talk to you off off air. Well, my thing too is like I I buy straps and stuff for all my watches. I fully accessorize them, so it's not just the watch. Yeah, yeah. So... Blah 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 blah. What uh, what's do you have a, a particular site you like for the NATO straps? So I found a site and they had like almost every uh, every color combination uh, I could dream of. Mm-hmm. What quality do you want? You want like a really high quality one? Uh, no, because it's like a twenty dollar Timex. But uh, you well, know, that doesn't mean you don't want a high quality strap. I mean, yeah, high quality I mean, straps cost like twenty bucks. Granted. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um. You can get the, uh, they sell packs of them on Amazon okay. and they're perfectly fine, but the clasp on them is really shit. Mm. Uh, I would go to Long Island Watch and okay. buy something from Mark. The guy that uh, runs that website is Mark. Oh, okay. And uh, he sells some really good high quality products uh, for a reasonable price for how good they are. I would say, what color are you looking for and what size? Excellent questions. Um, like 20 like, and 18, a 22 or something offbeat. Well, it's just it's the Timex um, that they sell at Target for, you know, 20, 25 bucks. Um, I'd have to I'd have to measure, but it, it came well, with a uh, just the, like a green kind of webbed, uh, you know, like a NATO strap. Sure. Um, well, if you visit me. 
looking open up my boxes of watch straps and you can pick a few out and you can have them okay yes um, I just thought like because that one's so easy to change you wouldn't even need you don't even need a tool you just pull it through right yeah um, yep and I, I make mine into Zulu straps too I don't I, okay I, uh, I cut the the back side of it off and I burn it and then I just have one loop through okay but my wrist is wide uh, so the watch stays in place. I don't need that strap to keep it where it should be. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I was just thinking like, hey, it'd be cool to have a couple different uh, color straps just if I wanted to switch it up, you know, because the watch face is nice. It's just, it's it's mostly white and uh, just, it looks really nice. So uh, I like wa- white watches. I yeah. mostly wear green watches, as you know. Yep. But uh, I like the white watches as well. They're pretty yeah. And I was looking at some uh, some watch kits uh, on Amazon, you know, for uh, swapping out batteries and stuff like that, and doing it myself instead of bringing it in. Um, well, you you asked me about that before, and yeah. I got a watch kit from Amazon, and I can forward you a link. And I think that Long Island Watch also sells pretty good watch kits. Okay. Uh, so the the main one that I'm concerned about is uh, I've got a fossil. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have screws, but it's uh, I brought it back to get the battery changed because uh, this was still, uh, it, well, it was in your hometown. And uh, Sarah bought it for me from, I think it was like pennies or something. And uh, that was still when they had like the watch counter and stuff, or maybe it was right. a different, I don't know which store. Um, but you know, you brought it in there, and they'd, and they'd uh, swap it for you for free. They just put a new battery in it, call it good. Um, but the fossil is waterproof or water resistant, and after they changed it one time, the inside of the watch glass was fogging up, so they didn't <laughs> they didn't seat the the rubber gasket properly. Yes. Um, and then I brought it to the fossil store down at the Mall of America in, in uh, the Twin Cities here. And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 you got to seat this correctly, and that's why you should always only ever bring it to us. But, of course, the fossil store charges for the battery and for the time to change the battery. And you can buy a pack of these batteries super cheap. So um, you just need the know-how. And that's, like, true for most things in life. You know, like, you just need the know-how and the willingness to learn it and then the time to do it. And changing a battery doesn't take that long, even on a watch, I'm imagining. So... No, as long as you have the right size battery. The right size battery and the right tools, you know, to get in there. Right. It it doesn't take a genius to figure it out. No. That's where, uh, you know, I have said before that if I were to buy a watch for somebody, I would buy them a citizen. If I was buying a watch for myself, probably not a citizen. Because uh, the citizens are mostly eco drives, and you never have to change a battery; they just run forever until they die. Yeah. And then you throw them away, and you buy a new one. Yeah. And the citizens, I think they look really nice too. Well, most of them look really nice, and most I have of a them, collection yeah. of them. Uh, I do have several myself. Yep. And they Sarah are actually got one. Uh, you know, one of the ladies' uh, citizens. Um, she doesn't she wear it very it to often, me, and I tried to yeah, convince she... her to wear it because she yeah. was afraid because it was expensive, and I was like, no, no, no. 
that's a, a watch intended to be worn. So yeah. Well, and I <laughs> guess it. that's kind of the thing is you know, um, is it more expensive than you know the digital watch from Target? Sure. Right. You know, yeah. Um, but in the grand scheme of watches, it's not that expensive. And no. like, and like you said, you know, it's designed to be worn. Most things are designed to be worn unless you're a, a full on true collector. Uh, right. But even then you'd still wear it event at some point, you know, if you had a huge watch collection, you might say, you know what, for this, uh, for this dinner, this date, I'm going to wear this watch. Sure. I have one of the watches I wear the least is a Timex Marlin, which is not an expensive watch. Very cool. I just don't get a lot of occasions to wear a 36 millimeter dress watch very often. Yeah. Um, Well, unless so now since the pandemic, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. Oh, very much so. I mean, I've worn it a couple times. I've worn going to tournaments and stuff for no reason, just to wear a pretty small watch. To yeah. try to intimidate my bowling opponents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of the, a lot of my, I dress outlandish. Well, not necessarily outlandishly, but the pink backpack and yeah. all that is just to like throw people off. You've got some flair to you. I have some flair. Yeah, uh, yeah. I always have. <laughs> I don't wear plaid pants anymore. <laughs> but I used to when I was a teenager. <laughs> But yeah, like Sarah's watch, it's intended to be worn, and I, I believe it's an eco drive, if I remember. Uh, yeah, correctly. I think so. I'm pretty sure. So it's not going to last any. She's not saving the watch by not wearing it. It's going to die eventually. Yeah. You know, the capacitor is going to go out, or one of the solar panels inside of it will go out, solar cells. Yeah. So she should wear it if she wants to. If she doesn't want to wear it, she doesn't want to wear it. That's fine. Well, yeah, yeah. But, you know. Might as well throw it on. Why not? I always, I, uh, you know, like, uh, I don't uh, really wear a watch a whole lot anymore because I work from home now. But uh, when I was in the office, you know, before the pandemic, I'd always, uh, always have a watch on. You know, I'd either always wear my, I, I really only have, uh, well, I've got f- four watches now because I bought a, another watch um, for a special for one specific occasion, but I've worn it multiple times since then, you know, but mm-hmm. uh, none of the watches that I had were right for the occasion I was going to, where it's kind of like a semi-formal uh, wedding, kind of casual formal, you know, somewhere, yep. somewhere in between there where you, you weren't showing up. I mean, people did, but you're not really showing up in jeans. Um, you know, and Sarah of course was going to dress up with a dress and, makeup and and all that stuff so i didn't want to look like the hick that she dragged in from the cornfield or whatever but uh you know you can buy really really good looking inexpensive watches that work well but you know when i was in the office even if it was like a casual friday or something i'd still i'd still toss on the timex um just because it's nice to not have to pull out my phone every time somebody wants to know what time it is or when i want to know what time it is so um I'll wear a watch every day. I went to work without a watch on today, and it was it's always disconcerting. I've done it a few times in the last couple of years, yeah, and I don't like it. I'd rather have a watch on, yep, I don't like looking at my phone for the time for some reason, yeah, me either um 
There's always so many like notifications, like all the time. Like even if like for me, I don't have a lot of things notify me, uh, especially with sound. Like I don't want any sound notifications ever. My phone's been on silent for, I don't know, five years now. So, but, uh, you know, checking the time and it's like, oh, oh, I got a notification here in the notification center or whatever. And it's like, nope, I don't, I just want, I just want the time. I don't need to be distracted from what I'm doing right now. Yes. I upgraded my work watch recently. Like I told okay. you. I'm not sure if I said it on here or not. I got myself a, a Japanese domestic market, uh, Japanese-made G-Shock. Okay. Uh, which is a nice watch. Uh, but it's a G-Shock, so it's intended to be abused and beat around. Uh, yeah. And uh, I like it. It's great. It does everything I need. Tells me the time. Tells me the date. Automatically sets its own time. Via, oh, perfect. Uh, transmitter so gives me all the relevant data with none of the extra fluff yes and uh, I'd never have to worry about it my least favorite a, is uh, you know setting the time back or forward depending on the daylight savings mm-hmm. it's not so bad on the uh, like the timex in my fossil because you just pull the thing and, and do it but on my uh, I do have one uh, digital you know, like rubber, rubber strapped, a thing that I used to wear hunting all the time, but trying to remember how to change that. Uh, it's not that, I mean, it's not that hard, but it's just like, it's one step more involved than just pulling the pin and dialing in the time. Sure. I have a number of automatic watches that you have to wind every time. Okay. Manual wind watches also. Do you have the watch winders? No. Watch winders, some people are into them. I'm not a proponent of a watch winder. Okay. Um, They wear out your mechanism. Your watch will last a lot longer between services if you do not wind them all the time. Okay. And I don't wear an automatic watch to work. Yeah. I wear a digital watch. So I let them run and die out in the watch box until I wear them again. Okay. I don't have any that need to be wound. All mine are battery, so. Right. They're nice. It's kind of a nice little feature. You know, the, the secondhand sweeps instead of ticks. Okay. And it's, yeah, it's, a, little, it's a fun little thing. It's jewelry, essentially. Well, yeah. For a man. And, uh, you know, it's not terrible. It's all right. It's a little hobby. Yep. But I, I wear a G-Shock for work because I don't want to damage them. Yeah. Or if I do, it's it's intended to be worn in a harsh environment. Yes. So. And my first, uh, well, the G-Shock I just got a couple months ago now is fully digital. Uh, I had a G-Shock that was also atomic timekeeping that had a, uh, still does, still around, but it was a traditional watch face, and then it had the digital screens on the bottom for the date and shit. Oh, okay. But I find myself needing to log time so often that I just wanted a fully digital watch because I, I have to keep track of the time so often, at yeah. work, it seems like. So, to write it down. I have to write down the time when I'm doing things. All yeah. 
So well, and that's the thing easier. too is you know if you can get through life with one watch, you know, kudos to you. But if you like watches, or even if you don't aren't particular particularly fond of watches, but you like you know looking put together, you're gonna need a couple watches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as much as I would like to wear a Seiko Alpinist all the time, it's really not something I can wear all the time. Yeah. Um, which I'm an Alpinist fan. Yeah. Not everybody is. <laughs> and I've made it for several years now with just two watches. I mean, I've got, I own four watches total. Um, but, you know, like wearing the Timex for, for casual, um, but not like, super super casual i mean it works for whatever uh and then the fossil for you know dress up occasions because it's just it's silver so it matches you know my wedding band and uh it doesn't really clash with anything ever so you know you you know you don't have to be super into watches either but uh i'd like to have a couple more choices right mom's a man who's in a more professional field like yourself it's important to other people. Yeah. It's important to your own self-image too. Well, it's important to me, but... you know, just, uh, you don't want to give, um, and even not, and even not just in the workplace, but like anywhere really, like if you're out, you don't want to, depending on where you're, where you're at or what you're doing, but you don't necessarily want to give the opinion or give people the idea that you don't know what is going on, you know, like right. un, unshined shoes. If you're going to wear fancy shoes, make sure they're shined. Not not hard to do. Um, right. You know, and I've, I've often heard that uh, people judge you first by your footwear. I don't know if I've ever heard that. <laughs> I've, I've heard that. I don't know if it's true, but I feel like it could, could be. It could be one of those like kind of unconscious things that people look at. And then they kind of base that... Um, and of course, it depends on where you are, right, and what you're doing. Uh, if you go to, you know, if you go to the opera or the theater, not not a movie theater, but like you know, a theater, and you're wearing Crocs, you're probably going to get some some glances, and some people are going to make some assumptions about you. But uh, you know, or if you're going for an interview, and you're wearing scuffed up dress shoes. That's an assumption that they're going to make about you. And they're going to carry that on to other things in your life. If you don't take care of your dress shoes, you can't spend the five minutes to give them a quick shine before going on an interview. You're probably going to miss a lot of details in your role at the company. Um, I don't know if that's hundred percent true, but that's the logic that us humans employ sometimes. So I definitely agree with that. I went to a wedding and one of the people involved in the wedding wore Crocs and it did not go over well. I can imagine. So I think I am halfway through this cigar and I'm not sure if I'm detecting a flavor change here now or not. I might be a little bit more than halfway actually looking at it, but this one was shorter than the other ones. So I think it's about halfway. I'm also about halfway, and I see no flavor change, but it is still very good. Okay. Yeah, it is good. I'm not sure if it's um, 
something else. I mean, we're doing this one back to back with uh, episode 30. So I don't know if I still have a little bit of that, uh, that sourness from the end of the last one lingering around, but I'm not getting any sour from this one. Um, it's just a little bit more difficult for me to determine if it's a flavor change. But if you're not getting one, then it must be something else. No, and you're using a palate cleanser, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, I just um, had a beer, so, you know. That's also what I'm using. I've used two different kinds. I've used a uh, Minnesota Gold and a Guinness. Okay. I've just been doing the uh, the Bosun Hazy IPA, so... I should maybe uh, plan in my brain if we're going to do two back-to-back to just grab a different beer for the next the second episode. Sure. I've been alternating. Okay. Probably good. Good thing. You know, it's uh, it's interesting because this is a topic that we never would have talked about in like the first 15 or 20 episodes probably. I think it's taken us to this point uh, to really start thinking more intently on the taste and the flavor and the and even the pairing of what we're drinking uh, with with our cigars. So it's definitely been a journey for for me anyway. Um, you know, doing a podcast and and trying to explain tastes and flavors and scents and and things. Uh, for sure. And I'm the one that usually picks out the cigars and the order we smoke them in. Yes. And I try, if we're going to do a back-to-back episode, I try to do the lighter cigar first uh, so that we don't drown out the flavor of the lighter cigar with the darker cigar uh, in our, on, our palette, on our palate, you know? Yes. So it's definitely a purposeful order. At least I think it is. Not that it means anything to anybody else, but in my mind, it makes sense. Then it makes sense to me, but, uh, you know, we, we've said it before, and I'm sure we'll say it again, is uh, just because we have a cigar podcast doesn't make us the cigar experts uh, at all times or in all things. But we do certainly try and learn more all the time and to do the best that we can and are able to do. So Now, this is a topic we could talk about, uh, and you might not want to. Um, but as in our younger years, when we first met each other, we strongly disliked each other. And I think we've mentioned that. (laughs) We told the whole story. So, uh, at that time, I feel as though we both were more inexperienced men who were not actually proficient at anything, at least in my case, I'll tell you my story. Why I think I was the way I was. Yeah, okay. I was not actually accomplished at anything at that point in time. And now, uh, as I've gotten older, I have become more accomplished, at least in some things. And my knowledge has increased uh, significantly enough for me to be considered an expert in at least one thing. Where I was an expert in nothing before. And that's given me appreciation for just how little I know about everything else. Would you agree with that assessment? Well, for my part, I know that's true. I know because I've done a lot of uh, introspection to where I truly am foolish on almost every single thing. (laughs) Yeah. But the the handful of things that I am not. 
Yes. And even on those things, I know that I'm not, uh, I'm not all knowing by any means. <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, that's a, a good point that you bring up. I mean, I think about um, that era in my life. Uh, I've got a, a friend, well, you know, Sarah and I have uh, friends, but uh, uh, this friend is calls kind of, there are different stages in life's uh, epics. So he'll be like, "Oh, I'm on, uh, I'm on this epic right now," you know, and so very kind of like, I don't know if it's really episodic, uh, more or less, but he he kind of groups his life into these little epics that you know string back to back to back to back. Um, but I would say that, in in a sense, and maybe in the only sense that matters, is I agree with you. Um, I think you know when we first met, we were not that far out of college and we were kind of given the shaft by the economy and the government and what have you. And we felt like we, not we, I'll, I'll talk for myself and then you can kind of agree or disagree. But like, I felt like, you know, Hey, I'm like, I'm educated. I got my degree and, and that's what everybody said. And I, I should just be there. I should be somewhere where I can, you know, but it was also kind of a time of change in our country and, and culture, too, because, you know, our parents worked by and large or that generation by and large worked at one place and they got pensions and they didn't really have to do much with 401ks or IRAs or, you know, other things. And they were just, hey, I'm here. I put in my time and I'm going to be taken care of now and I can retire at, a, at an early age or at a reasonable age. And, uh, we had all this other stuff thrown at us or, you know, I felt like I had all this other stuff thrown at me and, uh, I felt like I knew more than a lot of the people currently in the workforce because I knew more about technology and that's where everything was going. And, and that has remained true, but nobody was willing to listen to somebody of my age and my experience level, which makes sense, which makes sense, uh, to some extent, um, so I think part of it was the frustration of not being taken seriously kind of anywhere else. And I feel like I kind of almost demanded that in other people that I met, you know, and or I had different expectations for meeting different people, especially people my age. Um, so that might have colored some things as well. Uh, but I definitely do feel that since when we first met and now, I've become a lot more tolerant of everything. I mean, not everything, not, uh, not going to Epstein Island, but, uh, or not, uh, the Uvalde police force. But I feel like I've come to the realization that everybody has their own life and everybody has their own life story and life circumstances. And I don't know what those things are unless those people tell me. So I shouldn't, shouldn't prematurely judge them. Um, and I think, like you said, I've, uh, even the things that I'm very knowledgeable about, I know that I'm not the person who invented that thing or came up with that thing, or I don't know everything about that thing. And so I feel I've, I've become, and I could be wrong, and just blowing smoke up my own ass, but I'm not trying to, that's not the point of this is, but I, I feel like I've been a lot more comfortable with saying like, I don't know. I've never heard of that. 
or, you know, tell me more, like, teach me about this. Um, and I think you miss a lot, especially when you're younger, uh, by thinking you're the expert on something. I mean, you might be, but everybody's perspective is, is vastly different. So that might be it some of it too. I think a lot of my perception was skewed by the fact that I read a lot of literature so I knew a lot of the things that the great masters said without actually having lived any life. Yeah. And, uh, well, we talked about that before too. We both have read a lot of things, so mm -hmm. you can do, a, you can get a lot of stuff, uh, learned by reading other things. And especially now where I'm at now, I realized that I don't have to actually go through and like fail at everything. I can read about somebody else's failure or hear about somebody else's failure and then learn from that without actually having had that failure and then go from there, you know? Right. I'm, uh, this is an aside, I suppose. I'm, I'm, uh, listening to Middlemarch. I'm at the end of the story or near the end of the story now by George Eliot. Okay. And I've been analyzing myself more than the novel because it is a very adult story, I guess, in a style that I understand because I'm a big fan of that era of literature. And uh, I never would have gotten out of the story what I'm getting now as an adult or as a 30-something adult versus a 20-something, you know? Yeah. I'm not identifying all of the subplots and the subtext <laughs> or I would not have, I'm getting a lot of more subtext now than I would have then. And do you like that Victorian stuff? I love the Victorian literature. Cause I, I remember we talked about uh, pride and prejudice once. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just, so I just looked at Middlemarsh cause I was not familiar. Uh, I'm not very familiar with the whole Victorian era. Uh, well, Jane Austen is a uh, Georgian era speaking of uh her own times from her own perspective yeah. it's always a happy story and it was fluff intended for rich women that had nothing to do yes uh, george Eliot's more of a, a victorian novelist for a wider audience as uh, literacy was a lot higher okay so and, apparently uh, george Eliot is a pen name mm -hmm. And I didn't realize it was uh, Marianne Evans. Not that I know anything about Marianne Evans, but uh, that's interesting because, you know, what would you consider um, Frankenstein by Mary Shelley to be Victorian? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I think uh, so. So, I mean, I like things from that era, but, you know, there's kind of a, a very specific, like, like, you know, Pride and Prejudice is kind of like the Victorian genre, not so no, much the Victorian. No, no. Uh, what? It's that's very much a Georgian novel, I would say. Oh, OK. Uh, Victorian literature would be like Silas Marner or uh, Dickens or okay. uh, any of the Sherlock Holmes. OK. Yep. Sherlock Holmes would be uh, more akin to like the Harry Potter style literature of that era. And Dickens was too. It was very serialized, very popular. Yes. For that time. 
but uh, yeah, I really like the Victorian literature a lot. I think it's a lot more um, introspective than a lot of literature is now. Yeah, and I I remember I read uh, a book called American Bloomsbury, and it was uh, very interesting because it had uh, now it's been been a while. Let me. <clears throat> I thought when I when I uh, borrowed it on my Kindle from the library, I thought it was going to be a a fiction, but it was actually not. It was. Uh, so it's all about uh, Louisa May Alcott, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Margaret Fuller, Nathaniel Hawthorne, Henry David Thoreau, and uh, it's actually a nonfiction. It's it's a historical account of when they were all living together, uh, or in the same proximity. Interesting. And, I've never and, read it. Oh man, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. You have to send me a uh, send me a text with the exact lettering so I can. Yep. Yep. It, uh, get her down. Yeah. It, it was so interesting and it's all about transcendentalism. Sure. Um, and so my, my brother was very interested when I was telling him about this because there was some, you know, crazy love triangles or squares going on, uh, within that, of course, you've got all these artists or, you know, introspective people or, or nature-loving people that uh, are all sharing the same area and all have similar ideas and ideals, uh, but very, very interesting. And uh, my brother found a copy and, and picked it up. He hasn't read it. I don't think he's read it quite yet, but uh, it's one of those books that you, you – it's highly rated, but you wouldn't really think, like, this is going to be an impactful book, but it was very fascinating. Um, especially because he had all these American literary greats like in the same area all interacting with one another so yeah I know I've said it before every generation thinks of the first one that ever fucked and uh, we're not <laughs> it's the same story it's always been I guess in many ways the what now Oh, you know, you said they, they all interacted and I'm sure they had love triangles and all sorts of intrigue and it's very popular in our current culture to pretend like in the past things were more ideal. In oh, some more, sense. more Puritan. Yes. And it wasn't, of course. Yeah. That's ridiculous. And I don't want to. I don't want to say that this book is like some kind of saucy, like love memoir, sexual exploit memoir, because that's not what it is. It's really more about the community they were trying to build. But because they were all these people, and they were all young, or you know, a lot of them were young, or enough of them were young and uh, virile enough to attract attention of everybody else. Like there were some very definite like tensions um, going on. So. But uh, that's not that's not really the main gist of the thing. So like, if you're used to reading the the books with uh, the shirtless, ripped men on the cover, uh, that's not this kind of book. But uh, but it is very very interesting from a literary perspective. And uh, even if you're not huge into any of these authors' works, just the fact that you've heard of of most of them or some of them is enough to make the book worth reading. 
Uh, I guess I might introduce you to some other authors that you haven't read uh, and you would like to. Right. I read uh, or I listened to when it came out uh, and the hippos were boiled in their tanks, which was written by Kerouac and Burroughs. Okay. And it was a unreleased novel of a real event. And it was a fictionalization, but it was largely autobiographical. And I found it to be very illuminating to the society that existed during pre-World War II and during World War II. Okay. Because in our popular literature, we get this idea that all these greatest generation types were pure uh, souls that went and fought the Nazis and came back and built America. And that was obviously not the case. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like uh, Kurt Vonnegut. <laughs> There's a lot <laughs> yeah. of dissenters within that group <laughs> and yes. miscreants, uh, which anybody who knows anything about tramping and that sort of nonsense and folk music and blues is it's all nonsense. It's the same as it is now in many ways. Yeah. People have always been people. And I think we lose a lot in history because it kind of gets boiled down to what these people did and not necessarily who they were or what drove them to do what they did. And it's a lot of the same things that drive us to do the things that we do today. But you kind of lose some of that unless you get big into biographies. And I think biographies are, if they're well-written, of course, uh, are very fascinating because you actually get a feel or a sense for who the person was. Or, you know, at least one person's interpretation of who that person was. Because if they're not living and, and they're from ancient times or, you know, hundred years ago, even uh, there's nobody alive that had met them and is able to give you stuff. But a lot of these people journaled and a lot of that, a lot of them had correspondence with other people and interactions with other people who journaled. So you can kind of collaborate uh, a sense of who they were. And uh, you know, by and large, there's, there's not a perfect person, you know, they all had things they struggled with and they all had things they were passionate about. And they all had, uh, you know, times they were angry or frustrated what I found interesting, what I find interesting about these novels now that I'm older, that I'm in a committed relationship myself, is the subtext that they're talking about, where, you know, person X is a wife beater, or person X is a simp, you know? Yeah. These are subtle subtleties that I understood, but I didn't understand the way that I do now. Yeah. Uh, or, for example, the, the hippos, they had friends that were gay and they were smoking pot and they were beating up their girlfriends and drinking liquor all day long and avoiding the cops and all these nonsensical things that we think of as being modern conceptions, but it certainly yeah. wasn't. And they were all merchant mariners. So they were all involved in the war effort. They just happened to be, you know, yeah. Also doing other things besides that. <laughs> yes. You know, if you watch a war movie or you read a war book, you get the feeling that their whole life was just war, 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 war. Yes. And it certainly was not. It definitely was not. 
Uh, and I think a good a good book to kind of like shake you up, and even the movie is 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 good too. Uh, but the book is, as most books generally are, uh, a whole different on a whole different level. Uh, but Fear and Loathing, you know, Hunter yeah. S. Thompson, like that whole his whole Gonzo thing. Um, you know, it, it, he got hired to do this story, and it's just him doing drugs in the desert. I mean, it's, it's more in depth than that, but you know, it's like how much Thompson have you read? Just that one, just that one. Oh, see, and that's so disappointing. I've, I've not disappointing. I shouldn't say it that way. That's ridiculous. <laughs> you should. Uh, it's not. Uh, you know what I'm saying? No, like, I no, said I it, know like, exactly. It came out of my mouth. And I was, See, but, immediately, I was like, "Oh no, that's not no, what I meant. no, no." But because <laughs> because I know you, like we know each other so well, like I know you didn't mean like you're disappointed in me, just that there's a treasure trove of Thompson that I could be reading, and enjoying. Oh yeah, the Hell's Angels was illuminating. I thought okay, that was okay. great. Uh, the Curse of Lano, uh, a lot of his short stories. I've read many, many short stories, and uh, it's all fascinating super interesting and i being a reader now and this is all history to me the factual evidence he puts in there spread in between the tale a lot of its tale who knows yeah. what's true and what's not true but there are snippets of like what actually happened that you can clearly see yeah. Like this happened. This happened. This happened. These are real things, and they're all fucked up, but they're real things yes. that were occurring in this little weird tale that he is telling about an event. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that largely has nothing to do with the result of a horse race, or yeah. in the case of Fear and Loathing, the result of a desert uh, dune buggy race. Yeah, dune buggies. Uh, but that's but that's the uh, but I think and maybe that's why you know some some uh, some even fiction books fall flat because sometimes the best fiction is based heavily in truth and like real things happening, but it just happens to play, take place on uh, Trafalgar instead of in Dresden. You know what I mean? Like right. There's there's kernels yes. of truth, whether it be about actual events or just the human condition or the human mindset at that time. And I think, I think that's a very good point that you brought up is, uh, you know, humans haven't really been that different throughout the ages. Uh, we've had different maybe goals uh, and maybe slightly different motivations, but a lot of the stuff is very base, base motivations and base feelings and base human condition that drive Bankers you. Bankers have always been scumbags. Yeah. Just saying. And uh, there was, uh, oh, it was a movie, and it was based off of this kind of informal study this group of teachers did. Uh, the movie's called Another Round, and it, uh, I can't remember, I think it's uh, Michael Mads, or uh, some, something Mads. Um, but they, they had a theory that there was a certain level of inebriation that would make you perform better. And so they did this test and they, they had to keep their, their blood alcohol level at a certain level, not, not something huge and crazy. You know, they weren't drunk, drunk, but they were kind of like trying to stay in that buzzed, you know, state and not go over. And they were very aware that they were, you know, teachers in a public school or private school somewhere. 
And uh, they had to be very scientific about it because otherwise it'd be very easy to devolve into just an all day drinking binge fest and being drunk 24 seven. But that was kind of their, their thing. And, and in that movie, one of the lessons that this uh, main character was talking about was, okay, if you hadn't heard, uh, we're talking to talk about three of the main people from um, World War II. And uh, this one person uh, liked to smoke cigars and drink. And this other person, uh, you know, was like mean to his wife. And then this other person never touched a drop of alcohol and, uh, you know, was never mean to his spouse, who would you vote for? Well, the, the person who never drank anything was Hitler. And then the other two were Churchill and uh, and uh, somebody else, you know? So it's like... Uh, FDR. FDR. So you never FDR. really know, based on personal habits, how they're going to impact history. But that doesn't change their personal habits. You know what I mean? Like, Right, yeah, I mean... FDR slammed martinis all day long and smoked cigarettes constantly. And we all yeah. know Winston Churchill's habits, which yes. are infamous. Uh, I read that uh, book about Churchill. It was 23 facts about Winston Churchill or something like that. Okay. I, I physically have the book that I read. Uh, you should read it. It's very interesting. Okay. And it was always, uh, was Winston Churchill this or this? Was he an alcoholic or not? Was he an imperialist or not? That sort of layout for his life. Yeah. Uh, definitely not a guy that we would like as a leader now, but was effective in his time, obviously. Yes. Uh, so I will say this, and I think this is very important. I am... Uh, I'm almost uh, roach clipping this thing. Uh, I am as well. My fingers are burning. Yes. This this one, uh, somehow it got, got out of the... Uh, out of the, um, the sour bit at the end. There's no sourness in mine. No, not, not no sourness on mine either. This one is... Uh, this one's really good. Yeah, I recommend it highly. Yes. As far as the nubs go. Habano's not so much, but this one was a Habano, but called the KNF, and it is very good. Yes. I'm still puffing on it now. Uh, Me as well. Uh, what was the Churchill one? I've, I see one that is... Uh, Winston Churchill, well, this one's for kids. So 280 quotes by Winston Churchill, uh, 47 success facts. Winston Churchill. No, I will no. tell you. Okay. I've been uh, adding uh, all the books you've been talking about or that you've been talking about to my uh, my read list. So. Oh, geez. I have the book. You can have it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll I don't know the name of it right um, now off the top of my head. Okay, I that's fine. That's try fine. to search for it. But. No, no, no. It's all good uh, later yeah, in the can, future. You can have the book I bought it used, all that wonderful stuff, and I yes. doubt that my Sarah will ever read it. But <laughs> Yes, my Sarah is not a reader, um, really. My Sarah I mean, is a reader, but she does not like the same kind of literature that I read. Yes. Uh, to the point where now I am deep in the Dune universe. I even... Uh, Listen to the 
Dune or uh, Frank Herbert bi- biography by Brian Herbert. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, she doesn't want to read Dune. <laughs> she doesn't want to listen to Dune. She doesn't want to read Dune. She has access to my, obviously, our books, but also my audio library. Yes. She has no interest. <laughs> yeah. Even after watching the Dune movie, she has no interest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but is, I'm, uh, you know, I just got to, uh, I've been struggling with Heretics of Dune. But really? I, I just got, the last two chapters I read were very interesting, I get, finally. And I was like, okay, like I'm struggling. Well, you know, like Heretics of Dune takes place like 10,000 years past God Emperor of Dune. Yes. So there's there's quite a big leap. And so, of course, it's all new people except, surprise, surprise, Duncan Idaho is there again, uh, you know, the Gola. But uh, I was like, okay, okay, like I'm waiting for that hook for it to get me into the story and like fully invested. And I think it just happened. So um, it's just starting to get interesting now. Good. Yeah. I mean, there's certain franchises. Yeah. 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 needs to read. Not nah, need. Ha ha ha. Yeah. But Dark Tower series, I think is wonderful. I'll have to, I'll um, have to read that. Uh, you have to read the stand. That's not a franchise, but uh, I need to read the stand. I have talking it. about I just Stephen need King. To, like, Get it into the rotation. Yeah. And that's uh, the cool thing about books is, uh, you know, you can find really well taken care of used copies for a fraction of the price that you'd buy new. Um, And with all the, you know, the Kindles and a lot of the, a lot of the classics are either free or go on sale for, you know, 99 cents or less. So... Yes, it's not hard, and and public libraries you can go and just get a free library card and check them out. Um, LibriVox, I'm a big fan of LibriVox. Okay, uh, they read out loud books that are no longer under copyright and give them away for free. Okay, it's so like the uh, Project Guggenheim, right? So they do the huh? same thing. Project Gu- oh. Guggenheim. You can download, I think you can download PDFs or uh, something uh, similar. It's just they don't read them. You know, you get the text file. Sure. Uh, Pegasus is the same. Okay. Uh, They do uh, uh, ancient texts mostly. Oh, okay. Yeah, like primary resources for uh, people who are doing research for history papers and such. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's very interesting to read Herodotus in the original without getting all the modern shit. Yeah. Uh, modern interpretation is what I should have said. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Denigrating well, and, and a lot of the older uh, older and, and foreign language texts, you really have to be, be very picky about your translation that you're reading. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They have an agenda. Yes. Um, so, and that's the same, uh, cause one of my favorite books is meditations by Marcus Aurelius. And, uh, I was doing, I remember we talked about this on the, on the podcast, even about the, uh, which translation did I read and recommend? Um, so I think, you know, just, and that's the great thing is the internet is out there and you can do your research and find the best translation of it, right. of whatever it is, uh, that you're wanting to read. Well, and that's the part of the internet where we're both at the same age where I thought the internet was going to solve all the world's problems because people could do their own research. Yeah. 
And then uh, uh, they surprisingly it, don't. Yeah, it turned out to be that people are lazy and they don't want to go out and read John Stuart Mill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they don't really care. Well, there's <laughs> Nobody a, cares. Uh, <laughs> there's a there's a site that I love. It's a great site. Uh, and I think it's like something like presidentialbiographies.com or something. But this sure. guy has read all of these biographies on all of the different presidents, like every president that we've had. And then he's got a whole separate, you know, tab for, I don't know, founding fathers or other things. But he actually goes through and he'll, he rates them, these biographies. And then he'll tell you like, this biography is really, really dry, but it has everything you need. This biography is more accessible, but it skips over a few parts. Like he'll give you the breakdown of like why, sure. you know, so if you want to get into, or if you want to learn about uh, John Adams or John Quincy Adams or, you know, Ruther would be Hayes or whoever. Uh, I always go to that site and check out which books he recommends. And I don't always go for the driest or the most complete, you know, because he'll say, this one's not the most complete, but it gives you a great sense of who the person was without giving you, you know, the full historical picture. So it really just kind of depends. And if you want to like dip your toes in the water and learn about uh, somebody, you know, it's very important to find a biographer who has a good writing style and a good writing voice. Cause otherwise it's just like reading a textbook almost. I don't mind reading textbooks. I never had an issue with that. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind either, but I mean, you're talking about somebody's life. So sometimes it's nice to have, unless you're really interested in that person and everything they ever did. But if you just want more than the, you know, high school history class, one segment on that person, it's nice to just get something that's a little more in depth, but gives you a better sense of who that person is to see if you want to read the more detailed thing. Right. Well, you know, and that's kind of how I was class. with, that's kind of how I was with Lewis and Clark, you know, like I had yes. an interest in them. So I started reading some stuff about them and then I started researching what are the best books to give me the best information and data and everything about it. So that was something that I was interested in and, you know, a lesser book, you know, the Stephen Ambrose book, uh, I'll call it a lesser book because it kind of is, uh, got me interested enough that I wanted to read more about them. So, right. you know. It's uh, the flavor. The, yeah. Uh, the quick version doesn't have any flavor. Like, uh, you know, American Bloomsbury, great book. I don't really have an overwhelming desire to go read an autobiography about uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne or Thoreau or any one of those people in, in particular. But I love learning about that that time where they're all there at the same place. Uh, and that right. was very, very fascinating. It was a great book. Uh, and maybe you'll read it and say, my God, I need to know more about uh, Louise May Alcott. Or something, you know, like who knows? Um, but sometimes you just kind of need the general overview to know where to go next. Have you read On Walden Pond? Uh, I do not believe so. I think I have it downstairs. Okay. I, I read it uh, many years ago. I still have a copy of it. I uh, looked at it the other day and wanted to read it again because I okay. thought at the time, like, what a weirdo. But uh, a lot of his observations were accurate. You know, like these little weird watching yeah. ants kind of like strangeness of living alone kind of things, yeah. which he wasn't really living alone. Well, no. Uh, uh, but he I spent think... a lot of time alone. <laughs> yeah, I would be, you know what, we should do, uh, we talked about this, I don't know if we talked about it on air yet, but uh, we're going to do Lord of the Lord of the Flies, 
I hope so. And uh, I want you to listen to the uh, uh, Smedley, but- Smedley Butler uh, speech. Yes, send me send me the link, uh, and I'll listen to it. And then we're going to read Lord of the Flies. A racket for everybody who wants to listen. And yes. there is a LibriVox of it uh, for those who want to listen. And you can find a uh, transcript PDF of it online fairly easily. It's interesting that they don't uh, censor him. He was the guy that uh, talked about the plot against FDR by Prescott Bush. He's the guy that exposed that. Uh, Two-time Medal of Honor winner, uh, hero general in the Marine Corps. Okay. Very interesting character. Uh, I looked for a, a biography about him, and I couldn't find one. So... I'm going to continue to look to see if there is one. Yes. Of Smedley Butler, who has got the worst name ever. One of them. It's up there for sure. Yeah. But Uh, very interesting character. Uh, Also, he was a Republican and then he became a socialist. Okay. So that tells you where the Republican Party was at in the 1930s. Yes. (laughs) And an FDR supporter, apparently. Yes. So, but yeah, we'll do uh, we'll do Lord of the Flies. Uh, listen, or probably read, maybe listen. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I like reading better, but we'll see. Um, and then we should do on Walden Pond. Sure, I I, uh, I I will read Lord of the Flies because I have a special edition. Yes, because I read it and I liked it so much. I bought a special edition. Nice. So. There we go. I'm still smoking this cigar, by the way. I'm still smoking it, too, and my fingers are burning, but... uh, It is a quarter... This one's really good. Three quarters of an inch, maybe half at parts. Yeah, this one's good. I did my cross cut, so depends on where you look at it. But very good. I highly recommend the Kane F. Yes, this has been uh, this one, and then the, the... This one's better than the Cameroon. But the, uh, yes. the the Cameroon was was better than the other two Habanos for sure. So I agree. Well, everybody, thank you for listening. I'll catch you next week. Mm-hmm.